0: This is a show about content marketing for established course creators. Unlike other shows about marketing, we focus on sustainable, measurable content creation, how to authentically automate your marketing to build up your know, like, and trust factor with a nurtured, engaged audience, and get back to actually living your life instead of working to live. Hey, hey, friends. Happy birthday. No, probably not happy birthday to you unless you're a fellow Sagittarius, but happy birthday to me. I, by the time you're hearing this, will be 40 years old and it's a big birthday and I thought what better way to celebrate it than give all of you a big fat birthday present. So here it is, you guys. I've been teasing, I've been promising, and here we are. I am going to share the full content marketing plan for course creators in this post. Am I covering a lot of topics that are normally only covered in paid programs? I am. Will you still get more if you buy the paid program? Of course. There's only so much in a short podcast episode that I can cover without going on and on and on and making it into a very long podcast episode. But that said, I want to say content marketing is a big topic and even narrowing it down to a full content marketing plan for course creators is still a lot. I'm going to be doing it listicle style. And I just want to say, I have a love-hate relationship with listicle type of topics. I love them from the hook point of view, i.e. three ways to talk to a difficult client, because it's a clear topic for your audience. They know exactly what they're going to get from that article. It's very click-friendly. All of that is good. But I don't love them because they often undersell the amount of work that's involved. That topic, for example, We all know there's way more nuance in the subject than just three ways to handle those difficult clients. There's going to be difficult if they're like this. If it's about money, it's like that. If it's about time management or boundaries, oh, it's way over here, right? And that's a good reason to not always love those three steps to this or five steps to that kind of thing. Now, over the years, I've used a lot of these. And in fact, I've titled podcast and blog articles in that listicle style many times. Because again, it does tell your audience exactly what they're going to get. And I've introduced a lot of concepts that relate to building up the no like, and trust factor in your business in this way. Because no like, and trust is three factors. And there's a lot of small processes that you can use along the way to do that. Many of them really are three steps to this or five steps to that. But these three or four step processes are not meant to be used in a vacuum. They're meant to be used together, building upon each other. And that's what we're going to do here in this episode. We're going to start putting them all together. I want to talk a little bit about sustainable success for course creators. Because before I dive into these three and four step processes, I want to very clearly say something. Sustainable success is built in the shadows. All of those overnight success stories that you're seeing online are, first of all, maybe not that successful, but even if they are, that overnight was like a 10-year overnight. You know what I'm saying? I don't believe any of the big success stories that you see out there, the ones that are actually good businesses, the kinds you would want to model yourself after, were built overnight. They've been built slowly, quietly, and with a ton of blood, sweat, and tears in the buildup. Last week, I participated in an ethics forum hosted by Elia Finkelstein and Chrissy Reese of Data Driven Rebel. I am a member of their community. I really enjoy their program, and I'm not saying that as an affiliate. I'm saying it from an honest point of view. Now, I do want to also say the group of people that were participating in this particular conversation were already interested in ethics in the marketing online business kind of course creator market. So, you know, grain of salt and all. But I was still very encouraged by the conversation. We all largely agreed that marketing based on exploitation is not sustainable. Rather, using your values to guide your marketing and then building a business of like-minded people, that's the goal. And often, the difference is going to be between marketing tactics and marketing processes. So I'm going to cover processes here, frameworks, if you will, and I'm gearing them towards profitable course creators. While I have shifted away from personal branding as my overarching topic, and I've delved much further into content strategy and authentic automated marketing methods, most of the concepts I've introduced are backwards compatible. Meaning, if a content strategy is effective for a profitable course creator intent on nurturing their audience well between their launches and not just popping up and, you know, blasting people during their launch, it's also going to be effective for others I've served over the years. like service providers, providing anything from, you know, nutrition guidance to marketing for local businesses or parenting coaches. Anyone who has the intention of a content-forward business nurturing their audience is going to find value in this episode. So this episode is going to focus on a full content marketing plan for course creators, but can a service provider use it? Of course. A course creator has two distinct content marketing periods, launching and nurturing. And a service provider is going to be in the nurturing zone a lot more often, if not always, unless, of course, they're introducing a new offer and they'll go into a bit of a launch period there. In the same way, can this article guide someone offering a membership? Yes, a membership provider will have very similar patterns to a course creator. They might be selling into the membership outside of any official launches, but they're still going to be nurturing. Same with offering cohort-based group programs. They're likely going to be following the course creator method closely, and they're going to find the things I cover in this episode helpful as well. Overall, though, I need to set something straight. I am not talking to course creators who only sell during their launches and then disappear till it's three or four weeks before the next launch. I know that after launching, you're tired. That's why I'm all for evergreen content plans, and that's why I build my business and my clients' businesses. Around evergreen content plans, so you're not constantly having to create and you're not always on the content creation hamster wheel. But I'm probably not the right person to listen to if you just want to sell and then disappear for a while. I'm also probably not the right person who's going to be selling just a $37 course off Facebook ads. I am always going to be organic content forward. Does that mean I don't agree with paid ads? Not at all. I totally think they have a time and place. But the methods I'm talking about might not apply to the kind of business that's solely based on that. So where do we go from here? We start with the foundation of your content marketing plan. And that foundation is going to be divided up into two listicle style things. They're going to be two sets of three. You're going to want to consider them so you can stay on top of creating and managing your content. The first of those is make, measure, and multiply. And then the second are what I call content planning busters. So let's start with make, measure, and multiply. It is my business's backbone, if you will. It's my general content philosophy, and it's fairly simple. First, you make content, then you measure its effectiveness, then you multiply your efforts. Make. All of marketing is a test. (laughs) I will say that really loud for those in the back. Marketing is just educated guessing. Some guesses are more educated than others, especially at the uh, you know, like flourishing phase of the process. But at the beginning, everything's pretty guessy, you know what I'm saying? Every new client, every new offer, every new audience, if you will. You're always going to be starting with assumptions, even if you've done really good audience research. You're going to make content, see how it resonates, and then how it performs. That is the first step. You have to start somewhere, and starting with content is a really easy lift since most of us are already creating content anyway. After you've created it, after you've made some content, you're going to measure that content. There's two things that you're going to want to measure regardless of any kind of category of content it is. Because I'm talking about everything from email to blog posts, video streaming, social media posting, all of that is content. So we're going to measure two different things. The first is vanity metrics and the second is lead generating metrics. I have clear opinions on both of those. You're going to hear them largely in tone here. Vanity metrics exist largely so that others can see how much engagement you're receiving. These are things like likes and comments, hence that whole vanity name and sticker. That's not to say that it isn't worth paying attention at least a little bit to these because a steady stream of low engagement can indicate you have either a traffic problem or a subject matter problem. But vanity metrics are not where I put the bulk of my focus. I put the bulk of my focus on lead generating metrics. These are the metrics that require your audience members to take action. On an email, for example, that's clicking through that call to action. It's them clicking your call. On a social media post, it might be clicking the link in the post. Or on specific platforms, it might be sharing the post or clicking through to the profile and bio. All of these are actionable Intel that your audience is willing to do more with you, hence the title Lead Generating Metrics. Basically, is the content doing the job of getting them to take action in your business? And that action, by the way, guys, can be good or bad. The action can be unfollowing you, in which case that content has done its job. It has acted as a filter for people who are not resonating with you and will never buy from you. You really only want to be talking to the people who are still in the consideration phase. After we started measuring your content, we're going to obviously interpret the results. And then when we see which content is generating the most action, we can start multiplying your efforts. I have a whole podcast episode I'm going to link in the show notes. It's called Repurposing Myths and Methods, and it covers this topic really well. But basically, the idea is that once you know a particular topic resonates with people, you're going to multiply your reach on that topic in a variety of ways. Sometimes, that's approaching the same topic with a different hook. Other times it's gonna be posting on a new platform entirely. I often will recommend both. The key, using the work you've already done for more good means that you're working less and your content assets are working more. How do we do that? Well, that is gonna lead us to the next foundation of content marketing, and that is content planning busters. There are three of them. Your content database, your content system, and your content strategy. They all kind of work with and lean on each other. Because content marketing itself leans pretty heavily on content planning. Meaning, if you're not planning, you're probably going to fall down on content marketing as a whole because it's not going to be easy for you. Having that plan makes it eminently easier. So let's talk first about content databases because your content database is going to make that whole content asset system work for you almost as well as a whole employee in your business. Your content database is going to include all the assets related to a specific topic, preferably having them linked crosswise so that you can find them based on either the topic or based on the platform, based on the date. So you can search in a variety of methods. Personally, I use Airtable for this. I have seen others use Trello or Notion, but I haven't seen it done as well in those platforms as how I have set it up on Airtable. Here's an example. Let's talk about this particular topic, the full content marketing plan for course creators. This topic is one record in one table. In that record, I link to a Google Doc that includes all of my planned blog posts, podcast graphics, social media captions, social media graphics. It even includes the outline for this actual podcast episode. Then in a second table, where I automate all my posted content on Instagram, on LinkedIn, all of that stuff, to each post as individual records, and then I will link those records to the original topic. So going down the line, let's say in March or June or August, if I post anything that references this particular topic, I know where all the assets for this topic are. So whether I'm reposting this episode or blog article as a complete repost or whether I'm taking just one angle and giving a new idea on it, I have all the assets ready to go and I don't have to recreate them. I don't have to search for them. It makes my life so much easier. As you've already noticed, I've actually referenced previous articles in this episode and they're really easy for me to find via the database. If you've listened to the show before, you'll note that I reference previous episodes all the time. i often doing it on the fly. And since I'm doing it on the fly, I'm literally recording and typing off on the other hand some sort of keyword, if you will, for the episode so I can give you the actual episode name as I'm talking. Next, let's talk about your content system. In previous content, I have said that creating content on the fly is the mark of an amateur. And you guys, I stand by that. You need a plan or you'll plan to fail, right? That's like the cliche. It's there for a reason. Having a system around when to post and how to post saves you time and it takes the guesswork out of it especially if you're stressed and not thinking as clearly, or if you have to hand it off to a team member at some point. Your content system's going to save your bacon in both of those situations, but it's also just going to save it for you on a regular basis. You always know where to go. That means you don't have to context switch as often, which means you don't lose work efficiency. The third thing here is you're having your content strategy. And really, I probably should have talked about content strategy before the database and system because they both depend so heavily on the system. But your content strategy answers the where to post and what to post daily questions. For example, which platforms are you going to be posting on? What's your primary platform versus your auxiliary platform? Knowing your content goals, of course, is going to inform your strategy. I have refined my strategy based on my measurement. Example, Instagram is no longer my primary social platform. I've seen my numbers steadily decline over there and I've switched elsewhere because I'm getting the same or better results with less effort elsewhere now. Having a content strategy tells you where you're going to spend your time and then measuring the results of that strategy. That is what actually starts saving you more time. As for the what to post daily aspect of strategy you're going to want to make sure you've got some pretty solid content buckets for that. For that, I recommend popping over to the content bucket creation in 2022 episode. I think it was about two and a half months ago, three and a half months ago that I had that, and I'll have a link in the show notes for that too. Now, all three of these items, your database, your system, and your strategy were covered more extensively in the three items you need to best through content planning podcast episode, which of course I will also link in the show notes. Yay for content databases because I just had to look up the exact names of both of those topics as I said it here. So those two sets of three make up your content marketing foundation. Do they have a lot of crossover? Absolutely. They do have a ton of crossover with each other. It's six things that make up your content marketing foundation and they weave in and through each other to strengthen that thing foundation. It's why ropes have three cords. It's why webs go in and out of each other, right? It always makes for a stronger, bulky foundation that keeps you up. From there, though, we're going to talk more about regular implementation. That's moving on from the foundation and moving into the meat of what you're creating on a regular or not so regular basis. And instead of sets of three here, we're moving into sets of four. These four things, two sets of four, are going to keep you on the healthy side of content creation. Think of them as kind of like a mix and match, as a kaleidoscope of options so that your content can make sense to your best client in the best way possible for them and still feel fresh to you so you don't get bored with content creation. How you implement your content plan is going to depend on how you arrange that kaleidoscope of options. And what you do might not be right for someone else. That is okay. And not only is it okay, it's encouraged. We're different people running different businesses. So there are two sets of four here that you can mix and match. That's a possibility of like 16 different combinations that you can implement on any given day, 16 different combinations of angles for each topic. It's kind of like how the Myers-Briggs has four sets of letters, but there's 16 total combos for a whole bunch of different personalities, right? So first, let's talk about old, new, borrowed, and blue. I have a life. And I'm assuming that you do too. And my goal for both of us is that we have a healthy life that isn't planned around our business, but actually exists for our life to be enjoyable. So on that note, I really want to say Old, New, Borrowed, and Blue lends itself to chaos-free content planning. And if you'd like a full free, free rundown of putting this into place, I want to suggest you go join my free five-day email course. Don't want to take five days to get through it? No problem. I am pro-binging. I acknowledge that Netflix has trained us to power through when the mood strikes. Either way, it gives you a guide, a litmus, if you will, for a healthy and balanced content plan. And I'm going to give you like the brief rundown here, like the too long, didn't read version. It's basically allowing you to rotate regularly through new content Old content, content borrowed from or inspired by others with your own unique take on it, and then out of the blue content that will help your audience relate to you as a person. By rotating through those four things, you don't have to keep creating new stuff all the time. In fact, big idea here, a healthy content plan balances new content creation with other kinds of content so you can use your time in other ways for your business or simply to live. I don't want you to feel like you're constantly on that treadmill, okay? From there, we move on from that foursome to the next quad, which is the different states of mind that your content can address. This is the S, by the way, in my B scene method. My be seen workshop actually walks you through the rest of the letters, the B-E-S-E-E-N, right? But your best client state of mind is one of the easiest to tackle in both long and short form content. So we're going to cover that right here. The four angles from the state of mind are goals, desires, anxieties, and hurdles. They kind of go in pairs. So let's talk about goals and desires first. Goals are spoken. Desires might be unspoken. So think of goals as the first answer you get when you ask a client what they're hoping to accomplish with a certain course or program. It's not a lie, but it's also usually not the whole truth. And these are really easy to call out in your content. You'll see a bunch of them, like make more money with X or the easiest ways to Y or save time with Z. Desires, however, they're deeper and they're sometimes the unspoken side of goals. So for example, if the goal is saving time on creation, maybe the desire side of that is saving time so you can devote an extra few hours a week to meal planning and eating in a healthier way. You have a deeper need than just saving time. So saving time is not, not a lie. It's totally true. But it's also you really want to use that time in a more meaningful way. That's the desire. Desires are also fairly easy to call out in content if you know your best client well. If you need help with that, I do still have the best client builder available for purchase as well. Anxieties and hurdles are a little less positive, right? So anxieties are pain points. It's a prettier name for them, sure, but that's what they are. I am not a big fan of delving into pain point marketing and really harping on it. So you don't need to dig that pain hard, but you can acknowledge it. Unfortunately, I don't see this done very well, especially in social media posts. It's done very poorly most of the time. So here's a few good productive ways to do this. Make your therapy appointment more effective by blank. This is going to both acknowledge that therapy can be expensive and you want to get the most out of it. And it's also going to acknowledge that therapy is work. It's not something you can just show up for. You want to try and make it as effective as possible, right? Here's another example. Make a wiser investment with blank. Again, you can acknowledge that they've made poor investments prior without harping on it. And you're doing this, but you're starting your content in a positive way here. These are both good ways to acknowledge those anxieties and then kind of move on from there and work through the rest of the content piece. Hurdles, however, are the things that might prevent your audience from buying regardless. All of the anxieties that you could cover are also hurdles, so you're going to want to overcome those worries with good content practices. But hurdles can also encompass money issues and time issues, both of which might have nothing to do with your offer. Unless, of course, your offer is specifically talking about money or time. Now, I'm a firm believer that you can have the best offer that's incredibly targeted to your best client, and you might still not make a sale. Unless your offer is around crisis management, for example, there is not a single business kind of offer that you could make to a person while their parent is going through a long death process. I mean, that's not crass, it's just reality. They are dealing with other stuff. They don't care how cool your program is, they don't care how much it's going to help their business they're focused elsewhere right now, right? So that said, if your offer is around um, studying tactics for like the nursing NCLEX exam, for example, you may want to handle some hurdles around time management. Your program is likely going to recommend a certain amount of studying time and your best client is likely trying to juggle work and studying with a regular life. Therefore, time is going to be a hurdle to them buying the program. They may feel like they just don't have enough and therefore the program isn't going to be worth it to them. That's a hurdle you probably want to use your content to address. Again, acknowledge that the the anxiety side of that in a nice productive way. But if you don't address that, you're probably going to be leaving people behind that you could have helped in a really good way. So I want to talk a little bit about that kaleidoscope again. I mentioned it at the beginning of that whole, you know, content marketing implementation section. If you want a full primer, by the way, on multiplying your efforts, I'm going to mention my Be workshop again because it does teach you how to repurpose past content from different angles so that you can address different perspectives that your best client might be dealing with. And it covers that state of mind portion incredibly well. But if that's not an option to you right now for whatever reason, I want you to look at the combination of these two sets of four. How can you take last month's best piece of content that you've measured, and re-approach it from the borrowed point of view. Are there any thought leaders out there who have covered that same topic that you either agree or disagree with? How can you talk about their take on it and then show that you know what you're talking about by giving your perspective on their opinion? Or how can you take that same piece, that same really good piece from last month that you measured? How can you take that same piece of content and cover two big buying hurdles with it? This right here, is how you start repurposing with ease. That is like the content kaleidoscope right there in a nutshell. Finally, I wanna move on and talk a little bit about each content piece's goal. We have one final three listicle kind of thing, and it is listen, comprehend, and apply. This is something you want to make sure every piece of content you create addresses, whether it's brand new, whether it's repurposed, Every piece of content you put out there, whether it is a three-second reel or a five-paragraph blog post, listen, comprehend, apply. Why do I put it in this order? Because if you have kids, you know that listening means more than hearing. It means comprehending and then doing as well. So that's what each piece of your content should do for your audience. You want to walk your audience through the piece. A good example of this is my email writing template. I call it hook, line, and sinker. I hook them in with a subject line. That's me getting them to listen. I hold them on the line with a story, giving them time to comprehend. And then I sink it in with a way that the story applies in their business sense. Why do I do this? Because the world depends on story to help us make sense of things. It's why Aesop's fables are still popular to this day. Hello, tortoise in the hair, right? It's why Native American legends and the Greek myths gave us reasons for thunder. They're big concepts that people of those days did not understand. They didn't know the science behind thunder, so they created stories to help them understand it. We can do the same thing for our audience. We can create stories that give them a way to understand these things we are teaching them. We're teaching them these things to one, yes, add value. Of course, this is how we serve. But two, these things are what connects the dots between where our audience is today and where they need to be before they're going to consider purchasing from us. This is how we serve both them and us in the same way. It's how we can be genuine. It's how we can create authentic automated marketing. And it's how we build up that no like, and trust factor. Now, admittedly, this is a lot of work. Putting it all together as a full content marketing plan is not going to be easy. And I am not going to play internet guru of the day and tell you that it isn't hard work. I do have a client right now who is about halfway through her done-for-you content plan. And she's specifically messaged me in the last week or so and asked, when do I get off the treadmill? I feel like we're just treading right now. And you know what? She's right. She is still treading until she has some good evergreen content to lean on. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Attention shouldn't be easy. In the, I used to walk uphill both ways in the snow, kind of olden days of marketing, small businesses had to place expensive ads in telephone books, and they had to create infomercials, and they paid for media placements, and so many other things. We don't necessarily have to do that today. Small businesses today can exist solely online. Creating content can be free, but if you're not paying for it in money, you are paying for it in time. That isn't going away. Looking at the three, three, four, four, three processes that I shared here today, it's a lot. So if you need to kind of step back and look at the ten thousand foot view and see where you need to work, I'm going to encourage you: list out each of those items, give yourself a rating on them each separately. Then you can see where the holes are, where you're completely missing things. You can see where you're excelling and doing a good job. And you can see where you are growing, where you're, where you're working on it, but you need a little more help. If you need help with that assessment, I did create a quick tool to guide you on your next steps. I'm going to link that in the show notes, but it's also going to be available at brittneygardner.com forward slash full content plan. If you're already operating with a small team, at least some sort of VA support, many of these steps are easier. But keep in mind, You as the CEO, as the founder, you need to know how they work so you can lead on that. And the best way for you to do that is to get your hands in it for a little while. Give your audience a reason for thunder next time you create. Spend your time in the shadows creating a sustainable, successful business with content that nurtures your audience along the way. I promise when you do this, marketing becomes easier as a whole. Your sales will grow. All of those normal like internet guru things I can say here, you're going to save time. You're going to make more money. But it doesn't happen overnight. It happens with continued consistency. And that is the big idea from this episode. Again, attention shouldn't be easy. And a good sustainable business will take effort and work. But it's doable. It's achievable. If you need help, I'm here to help you along the way. You know all the ways to reach me. With that said, I hope you enjoyed this birthday episode. It was a joy to put it together. And it actually, honestly, it did help me kind of cement a few things along the way. So it, and maybe it was a birthday present in the end for both of us. I hope you guys have a great season. If you're listening to this kind of in a timely manner, it's definitely the Christmas and holiday season. So enjoy that. Enjoy the lights. Enjoy the beauty around you. And Don't get overwhelmed with everything I shared here. It's all something that you can parse out into smaller segments. See you soon. All right, friends, you know the drill. If you found value from this episode, there are two things you can do to thank me. The first is share it with a friend. If you enjoyed this episode, you learned something from it. Odds are you know somebody who needs to hear this message. I do truly believe that a rising tide lifts all boats. And if you help that friend with something that they need to do, we're gonna have less crappy marketers out there, which means less scams, and we get to help more people in those ways that we uniquely are meant to help them. The second thing you can do is leave a rating on whichever podcast app you are listening to the show on right now. Doing that helps me reach more people, getting, again, this same great information out there, and we all make a better, happier, effective, and ethical world as a result. Thanks so much. See you next week.